We're over halfway through with Lou's story now, facing down the final battle in the aftermath. But before we do that, there's a central part of Lou's story that we have not yet completed. At the heart of Lou's rise and cutting plans to put Nawada back on the throne is his grudge against Turian and his three sons. The story highlights more of Lou's character than any other, humanizing him, giving him hard choices to make, and showing his flaws. Today we conclude the tale of the sons of Turian. On another note, as we saw in previous episodes, the mention of places like Greece and Persia, and specific references to their mythology, exists because the Irish monks added them, most likely. I have kept them despite my misgivings, and infused them with some Bronze Age shenanigans, and my apologies to any historians of ancient Iran. Let's get to it. Previously, on Godacy. Lu has fulfilled one of his great destinies. He has put Nuada of the Silver Hand back on the throne at Tara. Now the people of the Tuathadi Danan prepare to re-establish their court and ultimately prepare for war again. Yet in doing so, Lu was injured by Brez, and now recovers in private while not suspecting that he will soon be called to fulfill his oath he made to his father, a dark vow of revenge. Welcome to Godacy, Episode 15, The Sons of Turian. Two days in a bed had done little to lessen the pain in his head. Two days in a bed had done little to lessen the pain of his pride. But Lou, even laid low, was full of energy and life. He just did not have the means to chase them. Two days had passed since the usurper Brez had been dealt with. Two days since Nuwada had taken the throne. Two days since Brez had beaten Lou and almost killed him. And two days since Ermid, Lou's aunt, had taken him into her care. They were still at Tara at his grandfather's villa, and most of the rest of the clan had gone south to collect their things for the rebuilding of Nawada's court, finery that they did not dare wear with Brez, lest it land in Fomorian hands. Lu had nothing of the sort, and would not retrieve it. He only needed his sword, now in Fomorian hands, his horse, and his hound. Now that he thought about it, he had nothing to his name that was not someone else's. All of those things belonged to Manannan McLear, his foster father, not to him. Before the melancholy could set in, there was a pounding, not of rain on the wide wooden hall, cold and drafty in the pale candlelight of a stormy midday, but from the door. Aramid! Aramid, I need your help! It's Turian! Would Lou never be free of this dolt? Walking, slowly and steady as faith allowed him, Lou went to the door and cracked it looking beyond. Turian looked ravaged, his hair pulled out of his nod in the back of his head, his eyes wide and terrible things. Behind him was a wide cart, the smell of the sea on it, and a cloth blanket atop it. Beneath the canopy were a myriad of treasures and three bodies. She's not here. She's gone out collecting herbs for the day. Turian seemed to growl at his luck at getting the son of his worst enemy. Dead or no, Turian would never give up his grudge against Kian, and Lou didn't blame him. Neither would he against Turian. Pushing the door open, Turian turned and went to the cart, drawn by three horses, the like of which Lou had never seen, Lou realized, and put the pieces together in his foggy memory. The sons of Turian had returned. He moved outside into the rain as thunder hammered in the distance and helped him bring in Brian, Ikar, and Ikarba. All three had been stripped to nothing wearing a myriad of wounds upon them that shone red and purple and yellow. 
Icarbo was the worst, his entire chest a different shade from normal, with clear indications of broken bones on the right side, struggling to breathe with each wheezing gasp. Icar was not much better, but he was lucid, his eyes were bloodshot, struggling to stay open. Brian required the least amount of help, standing on his own before having to be led by his father. They placed Icar and Icarba on the two tables at the front, pulling the chairs away, upon which Brian sat, slumped over. You have to help us, Lou. Did you learn herbalism and how to treat the poisoned in Tirnanog? Tyrion lacked the usual venom, instead replaced with fear. Lou nodded. I did. But those treasures... Those are the ones the Morrigan sent them after. Is not the pigskin of Tuis among them? The... Panacea, said Brian, struggling to focus. Lou furrowed his brow. The Panacea. Turian. Bring in the bounty. Turian did as he was bade, bringing them each in. There was a bag of apples, the brown leather pigskin. Then this spear, its tip stained purple, and pigs too, which were herded into pens beside the house. A whip was there, and finally, the finest thing Lou had ever seen. A spearhead of gold on a wooden lance, the likes of which Lou had never seen, shining almost white. He longed to touch it, but waited. I will prepare a concoction in the panacea, but it will take time. Tell me the tale, Brian McTurian. Turian growled. He's barely hanging on, son of Kian. Don't! Would you like to prepare the healing bomb? Or why haven't you already, Turian? That is my price. Lou grabbed the basin of water from his bedside, cleaned his hands, and took the panacea. Already he could feel the magic, how easy it would be to make the bomb. Lou waited, and sensing need, Brian began. The ship... Your foster father's ship moves at an incredible speed, like fog in a veil. It took us less than a day to reach the shores of Gaul and circle inward past Iberia, where we came upon the mounts of Atlas, that great titan. We shored the ship and went inland, where we were found a great green grove of apple trees, tended to by the Hesperides, daughters of Atlas. Their skin was darker than polished oak glue. You've never... Stay on topic, son, said Turian. We made merry and explained our plight, and they gave us the bag and sent us away with kisses. We left by nightfall and went past the pillars inward, into the great sea there, headed for Greece. So was the first task completed. It was dawn as we arrived, and flagged down a ship of Minoans who told us where we might find Tuis. They explained that Greece had no king, but that Tuis was a king among the Cycladian peoples on the Karos Isle. There we presented ourselves to him and explained our plight, yet he would not give us the panacea, as he called it. So, I planned. Ikar and Ikarba entertained the palace while I received the help of a disgruntled servant, a beautiful youth, who helped me to find the panacea and escape back to our ship with it. I retrieved my brothers and then went to sea, and so was the second task complete. Lou listened, intently, as he mixed the water and the contents of the panacea with his hands, not daring to stick them in, but instead kneading the pigskin. He could already smell it working, smell the balm was ready. But he, and he alone, knew that. Go on. Brian labored to breathe, the poison from whatever source bearing down on him. We left the great sea and circled the whole of Africa, there meeting many people. 
Midgard people whose gods walked among them, spirits of animals in the land like ours. They were good folk, and that land was large. It took a day of sailing to reach Persia, where we found among them many bickering tribes, but a high king, their shah. The youth, whom I had grown to fancy, stayed there, deciding to make his way among the tribes of Persia, who were having a contest among themselves. So, Ikar and Akarba and I hatched another plan. We joined the game, representing our people, and we were accepted. We had been warned that they were fire worshippers there, but we instead found that they had many gods and heroes among them, merely that fire was important to them as water is to us. So the games were held, and we named our price. If we won, we would take Shah Pisir's Spear of Poison. And all day and all night we labored until we won the contest at the top of a high temple, a stepped thing unlike anything we have here, even at Brunaborn. We parted gladly with the Persians and headed back for the Great Sea, but the task was to be done in order, I decided. Lou interrupted. Was that spear the source of the poison that seeps through your veins? Brian shook his head. I know it not, but it came from Lachlan, the final task. Trian watched Lou, trying to discern what he was doing. Lou left the panacea and moved to Icarva, barely breathing, and examined him finding three arrow wounds and a few cuts from a tipped point. Go on, Brian. He did. The third task complete, it took another day of sailing to get back to the Great Sea, past the pillars once more. Sicily was inhabited with traitors and noble folk, and it was there that we met Dobar, who had united the cities and people of the island. We offered our services as mercenaries to serve the army, and he accepted, and we plotted. He showed us his chariot, drawn by his four horses, and said that it could ride over land and sea with ease. I asked if I could take it for a ride. The king agreed, and so I did. I rode it right out to sea, right back to the pillars. Ikarna Karba made for their ship, and escaped with their lives, though Karba was worse for wear. So into the fourth task, and that afternoon our ship and chariot moving in equal speed back to the pillars, we met the king there at the tip of Iberia. Isal, king there, welcomed us into his hall that eve, and there we ate the finest pork we ever had, but despaired, for these were the pigs that we had come for. Then I remembered that we had come for a specific type of pig. And that night, getting King Isol drunk, I tricked him into agreeing to give us the bones of the pigs we had eaten. He agreed and we left in the cover of night, making for the Isle of Iroway. By morn, the pigs were reborn, and we had pig for the remainder of our journey. Thus ended the fifth task, on the fifth day. Lou was busy examining a car, seeing his wounds were much less severe. Yet they had something similar upon them to a carba, a near-fatal spear thrust not unlike the one on Brian's side. How Brian was still standing was beyond Lou. A car gasped, pointing at the water. Lou took a cup and gave it to him, and then moved to Akarba at Akar's direction, the man pointing to his brother. He did not breathe. Turian had not noticed. Brian had not noticed. Only Akar had noticed, and he could not speak. Lou said nothing. Go on. It was mid-morn when we arrived in the Isle of Iroway, full of the Andanashi, whom the Gauls call fairies. These fairy women lived in the woods as huntresses and danced around stone columns 
at the aisle's center, where a giant oak grew. The forest was full of animals I had never seen before, and we left Decarba behind to let him rest for the final task. But how to outwit the fairies? How to make them produce their magic dog whip? Decarb beat me to an idea. He took one of the pigs and set it loose on the island, then chased it, feigning anger that the dogs of the isle chased it, hoping to devour it. And they did. But then the fairy woman appeared, whip in hand. The dogs called off. Brian stopped, interrupted in a coughing fit, holding his chest. Tyrion moved quickly to his son, and Lou joined him. Reaching to a small block of wood by the wall, Lou gave Brian a cloth to cough into, which quickly became smeared in blood. The floor, Lou noticed, had spittle-sprayed blood all over it. From Brian to the table that held now gasping a car, Lou could taste it. He could taste the revenge forming. That's enough, son. That's enough. Son of Kian, is it ready? Surely you can... Lou interjected. Do you have any idea how this panacea works? Greek magic is strange, Turi, and it requires a level of ritual to it. I would not idly invoke their gods here, so far from home, and thus I will not. I will rely on my own powers, lest Ermid return home and absolve me. Near Tara, his magic functioned little, but even dampened as it was, he could sense she was nowhere nearby. Just as he liked it. I want... <coughs> I want to continue, Father. It will help Lou save us if he knows what it is and how we won his prizes. Lou and Tyrion exchanged glances. Lou nodded solemnly. It would help to know, even if he wasn't wasting everyone's time. They called their dogs off with their weapons, beautiful women with skin like marble and hair like the earth itself. They wore no clothes and were fully wild. They offered to help us break our fasts and did so. We asked if they had any liquor of forgetting, and a car drank with them while I carefully waited until the fairy women were fully drunk, then took the whip and we made an exit, careful to bring the remains of the dead pig with us. So passed the sixth task, the sixth treasure, which left us only with the last. At midday, I took the ship and chariot and led us north to our ancestral homeland, to Lachlan. We arrived just before sunset, passing the North Sea to get there. Imagine the deep hills of Connick's coast, mountains that run into the sea as if cut by a giant knife. Fjords, they call them in Lachlan, all marked the coast. We landed at the port in Gorias, and foregoing all food, took our weapons to the hill of Machen, outside the city. It stood tall over a valley, a river running through it with deep forest here and there. Ikar, Ikarba, and I were careful, making sure we went unseen up the hill, and there we began. Ikar yelled first. Then Ikarba, despite his wound. Then, at last, I gave the final mighty roar. The spear came quick, catching Ikarba in the side. He had hidden himself in the underbrush at the foot of the hill. Machin was tall, practically a giant, thin with a grizzled white beard, mad blue eyes, and more black ash on him and three triangles about his forehead. He drew his bronze sword as he charged, and we made quick work of him, breaking him down at his ankles and calves so he could not stand, then stabbing him in the throat until he drowned on his own blood. It was then that his sons and daughters, or so they seemed, came for us. They wore warrior's clothing, light in the late summer eve's air, and we knew we had to run. There were just too many of them. But something kept us. 
we were compelled to stay to find the spear. Turian's face went white, looking back to the pile of treasures near the door. He eyed the golden spear and looked back to Lou. Grief and panic overcame him. You. You cheated me! You placed them under a spell to get the spear! That was not part of our accord! You're Eric! We will die when we face the Fomorian host if we do so without the spear, Turian. You and I both know that. I did what was needed. What price would you pay for your people's freedom? Not the blood of my sons! Victory demands it. Be noble and understand what their blood buys. Brian, ignoring them both, moaned and slumped sideways into Lou. Turian hauled him back up with easy strength. We... They had arrows tipped with poison. Karba took the first. Kept fighting. We slewed them as best we could before I spied their longhouse home. Ikara carried Ikarba as I ran, entered Mockin's Hall, and found the spear there. I knew not the magic words, but victory was assured. When I returned outside, they had run a car through. In my rage, I whistled for the chariot, slew as many of the children of Mockin as I could, and loaded Ikara and Ikarba into the chariot. That's when... Brian vomited, missing both Turian and Lou's feet, full of blood and bile. Make room on the table beside a carbaturian. The older man did so with haste, not noticing how pale his other son was, how still, how without breath. Lou helped Brian to his feet and moved him quickly to the table, then took a cloth and held it over a car's head, then mouth, quickly enough to prevent Turian from noticing his son was frothing in his death throes. I will finish the tale for you, Turian. Brian, correct me as you can, said Lou, almost shaking now in his delight. With the spear in hand, you brought the chariot on board the ship of Mechlir and made it out of port before the lords of Garias could realize what you'd done. Poison, you did your best, and you arrived this morning here after a long voyage. Ikarba barely held on to his life, and Ikar was losing lucidity as your father came to you. You rushed here, seeking Airmid, but instead found me. He looked up out the window as lightning flashed. There were three ravens, stooped under the window, hiding from the rain. Each had red eyes, staring in, watching. The Morrigan had come to collect. Lou, please. They don't have much time. My sons are fading. They will be an asset in the coming war. Whatever my quarrels with your father, let them end there. Brian, said Lou, trying to maintain his tone, hiding his smile. Did he beg when you killed him? Brian coughed, struggling to speak. Lou looked over to him, studying him. His eyes were beginning to bulge like his brother's, the poisons taking their toll. Oh, you think I meant Mockin? No, no, Brian. I mean Kean. I mean my father. When you and your brothers killed him. When he transformed back from being a pig. When you killed him. And he went over that cliff. Did he beg? At any point in that, did he beg? Ask you for help? Brian's mouth moved, but no words came out. Tears rolled out of his eyes. Though from pain or remorse, Lou could not be sure. He was not sure he even cared. Turian rushed him, grabbing him by the shoulders. Lou boy, listen to me. 
The blood between our people is very bad, a deep wound, but we can heal it. You are better than this. You are a noble lord of the Tuathidi Danan, from whom a powerful clan shall be born. Do not do it at the expense of the noble house of Turian. Please, Lou, use the panacea. Victory was nigh. He had but to seize it. I would sooner allow the Fomorians safe passage through our lands than help your sons, Turian. They murdered my father. My debt to him is revenge, and I always pay my debts. No, Turian. I will not. Emotions flashed across his face. Terrible and cruel and sorrowful emotions as Turian let go of him, moving to the pigskin. Turian took it in his hands, imitating Lou with clumsy hands. Water spurted out of the top of the panacea, splattering all over the ground. He grabbed too loosely, trying to compensate, and instead the pigskin flipped, spilling the water all over the ground. Turian let out a whimper, falling to his knees, checking the water that would have cured their wounds, even if Turian did not know it. A drop would have been enough. Oh, is that a car's last breath? Gone to join Ikarba. What a shame, Turian. But worry not. Soon all three of your sons will be bound for Tirnanog. May they be granted passage there. Turian rose, rushing between his two sons, seeing that Lou was right. He wept, his face red with tears as he begged Ikarba to wake up, to breathe, to stay with him. They were his little soldier boys, always chasing after him, carrying their little spears. But they would not answer. Thunder rolled directly on top of the manor house. Every wall shook. Lightning rolled and remained above them as thunder pounded again and again and again like a drum that seemed ready to shatter. Turian moved to Brian, cradling his son to him. Brian touched his father's face, seeming feeble, uncertain of what he was touching. His cheek, his mouth, his nose. Turian shushed him. Don't talk, my clever warrior. Don't talk. Save your energy. Aramid will be home soon. She'll take care of you. Don't worry, my boy. Don't. Brian, no. Stay awake. Please. He begged. He bartered. He offered his son deals. Revenge, love, whatever he wanted. Lou spent more time with the panacea, picking it up off the ground and cleaning it off with his tunic. He realized that, after Brian died, he would still have to contend with Turian in whatever form that took. He would be at the mercy of Turian, his fury, and his hammer. The storm above was a representation of that, Lou realized. It was some time before the frothing began, and Brian's hands fell from his father's face. The sons of Turian were dead. The older man wept on his son's chest, holding Brian close. His last son, his eldest, his favorite, the clever warrior, the leader of his two brothers, the plotter, the planner. The one who had killed Kian, Lu's father, personally killed him, now joined his brothers in death. Turian shook, the thunder threatening to bring the whole place down. When Turian came off Brian, he rushed Lu, almost ready for him, but he did not strike him. He grabbed him by the arms and brought him close, throwing his head into Lu's chest and screaming, screaming as if he could cry and destroy Lu's chest, and from the strength of it, Lu began to believe it. His skin was stone white, his eyes were small things in a head, as he looked to Lu at last. You took them from me! 
he said, finally forming the words. You took the only thing worth having in this world. Lou stared back, trying to find the words. His revenge fulfilled, but the grudge remained. Would he kill Turian? The death of his sons had not been on his hand, but such a blatant murder would incur the wrath of Nawada and the court at a critical time. What do I need to give you? Speak to Manan and Maglir. Bring them back to me. I want my sons, Lou. I... 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 Turian began to shake, and his right arm left Lou, reaching across his chest to his left arm. He gripped it, full of terror suddenly, turning red, redder than Lou had ever seen anyone turn, even the now-still sons of Turian just now. Turian's features seized, seeming to fight some force, and he fell to the ground, holding his left side, screaming, screaming until there was nothing else to scream over. And then he was still. Turian moved no more, his eyes wide, his skin red. Dead, Lou realized. The storm subsided, leaving only the falling rain. Everything had been knocked off the walls, everything was disordered now. And Lou had won. At last, Lou had defeated his father's enemies. At last, the deed was done. He looked to the window where the ravens had been. There was nothing now, nothing but the rain. What have you done? At the open door she stood, Aramid staring at the three bodies on the table and the one on the floor. Still wrapped in rags under his clothes, Lou moved suddenly, hurting himself in doing so and wincing, but smiling. The sons of Turian have returned. They died before I could treat them, and Turian died of his grief. His aunt regarded him carefully, taking in what he said. Lou recounted where the poisons had come from, how it had affected them, how Akarba had died before Lou could treat him. He brought her the panacea, a thing of wonder that drew her attention away from the horror of the scene. They would remove the bodies, send them to Turian's daughter, and that would be that. The secret was his. He had gotten away with it. He carefully gathered the weapons, to be presented to King Nawada the next day. Of them, there was one Lu would not hand over. He took the spear, not listening to what Ermid was saying about what she had found, how the panacea would be able to keep them alive against the Fomorian poisons and venom, and studied the spear. Little etchings of it made Gavita's work look amateurish by comparison. He had the spear now. He had his revenge. Had the cost been worth it? Goddessy is written, researched, and produced by me, Greg Wright. Additional writing and editing by Sydney Aker, who will always heal your wounds, no matter how mad she is at you. Music by Scott Buckley, whose delightful Creative Commons music can be found at www.scottbuckley.com.au. Obviously, I'm still using it 15 episodes in. It must be good. Want to support the show? Check us out on social media at The Goddessy Podcast and leave us a line about your favorite tale. And say hi, or else three ravens will find you. Also check us out on Patreon, where you can get a name drop on the show, access to early episodes, behind-the-scenes posts and episodes, and my undying gratitude, along with other stuff I'm working on.
Gotta see updates every week. But not next week. I'm traveling. But we'll be back the week after as we march ever towards the end. See you then.